Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode, episode 76, we're going to talk about how to get into motorcycle travel on a budget. Now, this is leaving from your home, not flying your bike on a plane or, or putting it on a boat or anything like that. This, this is quite good. And then after that, a listener question about getting your pillion license to ride and the advantages and disadvantages of convincing that person that they're better off to have their license and have the ability to ride the bike in case things go wrong. All that and more coming up. And it created some really good conversation. Before we get to all that, I want to give a shout out to some people that helped the show incredibly this past month with some of $50 or more. Here we go. Steve Dunn, Clement Abandandolo, and John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. So great to have people that uh, support the show like this. If you're not doing it already, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. There's all kinds of ways you can support the show. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our raw show that like you just heard me do. Anything $10 or more gets you one of our Adventure Rider Radio stickers for your pannier, your toolbox. Um, but we need your support. It's built on a model of a listener support mixed with some advertising. Drop on the website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. Now, just in case Raw is a new discovery to you, the other show that we do each week is called Adventure Rider Radio. That's our flagship show. Again, drop by the website. Now, here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for May 2022. I'll try. <laughs> no, I said you did. We, oh. We got into that. You just went, I want no part of this. Yeah, I was going to touch that. Yeah. Recorded live from the Canoe West Media Studio, deep in the boreal forests of North America. This is Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtables, discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet. I am joined by my regular esteemed Overland co-host. We're going to start by going way over to Australia to uh, Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks. Good morning to the both of you. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hello, everyone. Beautiful day, grey. It's not a bit cold, but you know, out riding yesterday, a little bit of rain, drizzle, heading into winter. At least we don't have snow. Well, not much snow here, so it's riding all year round, guys. Well, I'm going to bring in Grant Johnson, who's in British Columbia, Canada, who who can connect with you, Brian, because he also is able to ride year round. Hello, Grant. Hello, everybody. I don't know about the year round. We did have fairly substantial amount of snow, and then there was the floods last year where you couldn't go more than a block or two from home. But we do get to ride a fair bit. You have an adventure bike. I have an adventure bike, which doesn't float. I've tried. (laughs) (laughs) Just does not float. You just came back for a ride, too, didn't you, Grant? I did. I was up in the mountains preparing for the Mountain Madness event that we're having in July. And I can tell you, anybody who's interested in coming, the riding is amazing. I found probably the best trail I have ever ridden. It was just gorgeous, perfect. So good stuff. Looking forward to seeing everybody out there. This Mountain Madness thing is is, a, is an event that you put on yearly. Is there still space available on it? We do indeed have some space. There is room. Um, we've got, I forget how many people, but we've got a pretty good turnout. Not as big as we've had pre-COVID, but I think people are waiting to see what the weather is going to do and what the COVID situation is going to be. And we're expecting a whole bunch more people to sign up soon. I know there's a bunch of people that haven't that have said, yes, I'm coming. Okay. So okay, well, well let's, let's talk about that. Remind me if, if I forget when we get to the end, when we get to plugs and we'll, we'll give some details on that because sure. um, that certainly sounds like a lot of fun for anybody who can get to that. Zipping down to South Dakota, the Black Hills, Michelle Lamphere. Hello, Michelle. Hi. Hi, everybody. 
So I'm enjoying finally some spring weather in South Dakota. It was long overdue, which I guess at this altitude, I'm I'm learning after living in Custer for three years is kind of more the norm than I hoped. But mm-hmm. um, I I was on the bike um, in April and I have been out a couple times in May. I was out for International Female Ride Day and got to go play in the hills and uh, go out with a couple of girlfriends and, and take to a trail and play around. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, the weather's beautiful. It's been kind of dry here, but we've had some rain recently, which makes for a lot of fun fire roads in this part of the world. Jumping across to the UK, we have Sam Sam Menacom, who can't appreciate anything but rain. Sam, good evening. Did you like the long pregnant pause that I was giving you there? Because it's absolutely gorgeous weather here today. I'm sitting here in shorts and a t-shirt. And in fact, I may have to open the window in a minute, but we'll, because it is so warm. Um, but the problem is we may get a bit of night bird song or something like that creeping in. So I hope your finger on the delete button is going to be active. <laughs> you really got sunshine there? That's incredible. Uh, not now. It's 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 pitch black now, but um, <laughs> it's it's been a, a really nice afternoon. Very pretty. You know those one of those days that you get where there are clouds, but they're really nicely shaped and they are just flying across the sky. Whereas down where you are, actually it's really still and calm. Just quite beautiful. Mm. It's been a really nice day. Roll and I'm out riding tomorrow. So um, yeah, more please. Very nice. Well, the first thing we're going to start talking about today is motorcycle travel on a budget. This segment is called How to Get Into Motorcycle Travel on a Budget. So we have criteria for the purpose of our conversation today that we're going to, we're going to stay within, right? Of course we are. <laughs> so, so, okay, so this is the criteria, okay? is for someone who wants to get into motorcycle travel on a budget. So they haven't traveled. They have limited funds. They want to leave from their own backyard, but the goal is to get a taste of travel. So new to travel, limited funds, leaving from their backyard, that means no shipping or flying of the bikes. It could be a new rider, maybe somebody who's commuting or, or um, looking to do something. To, maybe even somebody who's ridden for years and years and has now just come across the idea of travel with their, their motorcycle. Now, I think for this, we could easily begin with the bike and gear but I think the destination may require changes to that. So I, I think probably we we should start with um, the idea, at least, of a destination. So who has an idea of, of how to choose a destination? I, I know this is, is somewhat difficult because it depends on what country you're in. But um, does anyone have a, an idea on how to choose a destination that may meet our criteria that, we're, that we have here and give the, uh, the, the sense of overland travel? If you're on a budget, just um, don't overthink it. Just find somewhere on the map that you like to go to that you've never been to or you've been to before and would like to go back to and then work out an interesting way of getting there that fits the time frame that you have and the, and the amount of money you've got to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, look, I, I, I feel much the same way. Although I, I made a few notes in relation to this, so you know, I think go somewhere you like, and go somewhere you know, um, and you know a, a route that you know because you're not under stress worrying about other things. So you, you've got your bike packed. You're going to travel. You're going to try this out. Maybe two, three hundred miles, no more, and. Um, that works out 
one, whether you like it, two, um, how the bike feels with you, uh, it, 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 and it's uh, a good way to test out what you want. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're saying instead of instead of making it some difficult route or, or going to a place that you may not feel comfortable, if you've got a, I don't yeah. know, a section of your country that speaks another language or somewhere you can go like that, instead of doing that, you're saying do something more simple just to get the taste. Yeah. Right. That yeah, makes, that makes that's sense. exactly right. So 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 then you either work out, oh, yeah, well, I, I know there's this great little pub I like to stay at and, uh, you know, they, and you know what it's like as a, as a motorcyclist, you pull into a – a hotel or a motel and people come out and talk to you and they talk about the bike, you know, and it's, it's a real, it's a bit of a buzz and um, that'll give you a really good taste. Think back to when you, when you were younger and your first ride, if you can remember back that far, Grant, uh, it's, um, it, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, mate. Uh, could, could <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine today, mate. Uh, Brian, really Brian you do realise that you've just lost a shed load of brownie points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. We won't say anything. <laughs> oh, no. I oh, know I'll get it back. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, what I mean? you know, just start, start out um, and test yourself out slowly but surely. Yeah. But but you you said that when you when you pull up to the hotel and you stop and people come out and they talk you know where are you from etc. It's not really the same if you're telling them then they say where are you from you say well I'm about three miles down that way it's, just, it's not quite the same effect <laughs> two or three hundred miles go get the road two or three hundred miles it's yeah. a great trip you know let's do it a lot of times with a kid and you know I'll talk about bikes later but if you're trying to get into motorcycle travel to me what Brian's talking about is is a weekend ride. It's it's not what I would consider to be travel. I think you need to be gone for a week and you need to go a little farther than you normally would. Yes, your first part of your trip is always going to be something that you, you've done before. Um, you've done pretty much everything within a day or two ride of where you live. If you're thinking about going traveling, you're probably somewhat experienced. So you want to go somewhere where it's it's, a, it's new. You have to actually look at the map to figure out where you're going, what you're going to be doing. Of course, you can just ignore the map and just kind of go east, west, north, whatever suits your fancy. But you need to go a little extra farther to, to feel like you're getting that, what's motorcycle travel really like? With accent on the word travel, I think that's the difference. I, I kind of like the idea of, of this mix. Uh, to me, an adventure is made up of things like um, exploring. Um, the opportunity to learn something, some things new, um, being challenged. Now, be that by a trail or um, a situation, a language or whatever else it is. But there have got to be challenges in there somewhere that in, it helps you find out new parts about you and the world that you're traveling through. And the opportunity to make new friends, that's just always got to be part of an adventure for me. And of course, just add a motorcycle and that mix um, really makes it happen. You don't have to travel that far, but I, I, I do think you've got to be away for, for weeks um, to be on a full adventure. But that's just me. And that's one of the things that I love about motorcycling and overlanding is that we're all individuals. We do things the way that suits us. And you threw in a word there that Jim hasn't used yet. It's, that's adventure. So is this motorcycle travel or motorcycle adventure travel? And what's the difference? Hmm. Oh, here we go. <laughs> yes, indeed, we do. <laughs> well, I, I think I, it, ahead, could be any, it could be anything you want, really. But you know, I, I, I still run by the adage that you know you've got to try try yourself out slowly but surely first, and build up to it. And otherwise, you'll get plenty of adventure on the road. Trust me. 
But, um, and then, you, and then you know, I, I can remember one of the first trips I did. You know, didn't take a bloody map. What do you want a map for? You just went down that road and had a bit of a look and found a nice little pub. And you know, once, you once you've been somewhere you know, and then you start exploring in, in, and, in and out of there. Yeah, just my thoughts. Yeah, I like that everybody is coming at it from a different angle and that there are ways of exploring your local area, but then as Grant suggested, maybe pushing more the travel end of the spectrum so that you're traveling a bit further away and exploring possibly a place you haven't been before. And the thing that I took from this was more, and, and maybe this has to do with me doing some um, shorter trips and some travel while still working. So the component that was sticking in my mind was the budget. And so if perhaps you're still working or you you have limited vacation time from work and part of the budget is making sure that you don't get, you know, take time off without pay, maybe that's an issue for you. So if you're limited to one or two weeks of travel time or vacation time from a, a job, for example, um, that kind of helps you stay within your budget, maybe you look at spending, you know, about two or three days traveling on either end of the trip and find a location within that radius of your home, maybe an area you haven't explored before. Um, and if possible, um, you know, try and uh, consider seeing the world with different eyes or seeing some of those places with different eyes. Even if you've been to a part of your country, for example, from South Dakota, I like to go play in Montana or down in Colorado. And even if I've been a particular, you know, part of Colorado before, if I see it differently and start thinking, okay, I've got a week, maybe I'll, you know, try some different campgrounds that I haven't been to before. Maybe I'll try some different roads. And even if I've been on some of those roads before, they look different at different times of the year. So I like visiting, yeah. revisiting some of those places again. So my selection of destination was related to picking a radius that fits with the amount of time you have off from your job. Uh, so that you have adequate time to travel out and back, but still have a few days there to play and explore and feel like you're really, you know, getting a nice break from home. A theme would go good in there too. I mean, you could add a theme to it, which might change it because you were saying, Michelle, about the, looking at it through different eyes. So yeah. if, you, if you set up a theme, it could be anything, you know, museums or whatever it is you want. That's a great idea. Set up a theme and then you that's what you're off looking for, you know, or maybe you research it in advance. And maybe you'll need a map at that point. It's funny because Brian said, throw the map away. Don't don't take the map. <laughs> I agree with that. But today, before we, we sat down to record here, I had to go into a town to to change my license over. But anyway, I, it's a town that it's, it's about 45 minutes away. I go into town. They have, they're doing some construction. I don't know my way around. And after two circles at the same spot, I definitely could have used the map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the, the um, other part too, if you're doing like, um, Michelle is recommending. I think that's a great idea, but go at it with thinking about your normal, I've got a week's vacation and how far can I go is usually what people are thinking. How far can I get and how quickly can I go? And basically they spend all their time riding, which is good, but travel isn't riding 12 hours a day, every day for months. It's stopping, looking around, stopping at a cafe, talking to people and relaxing. So my thinking would be go less far, don't put in as much distance, but put in more normally would, but give yourself time to slow down and stop and look at things and use Michelle's eyes to say, you know, this is, look at it with a different point of view. 
because you're thinking about travel as opposed to I'm going for a week's vacation and I need to use in every possible inch I can. It's a different yeah, that's, mindset. That's yeah. the exploring and learning thing that I meant. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. um, when you guys were talking earlier on about um, having a theme, I was sitting here thinking, well, yeah, do you know, next time I go back riding in Portugal, I really want to go from one castle to the next because each of these castles are very different to the next. And what a great theme to be following. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, picking Ooh. a theme, wonderful. That's a great you know, idea. Is it Grant? You just said that travel isn't all riding, and, and that sort of makes me think about what you said there a minute ago about the word adventure in there. Adventure travel mm-hmm. is a motor, motorcycle adventure travel, as opposed to motorcycle travel. And and I think we sort of defined it before, and, and I think we I think we all agree on this is motorcycle adventure riding is going out for whatever period of time, but the focus is on riding, pushing your limits, going into rough places, you know, maybe some more off-road stuff. Whereas motorcycle travel is more the long distance, slow down, take it easy on the bike. You want things to last. You don't want a chance breaking any bones. Does it, does anyone have any qualms with what I'm saying right there? Nope. Bang on. No. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I'm with you with that, mate. I've got a friend right now who's a very, very experienced motorcyclist, editor of magazines, raced, you know, been on tracks, broken a hip on a track, all that sort of stuff. He's doing his lap around Australia on his motorbike. He's taking a year to do it. And just yesterday, he's, he's learnt a different way of travel. He slows down. He travels 100, 200 kilometres. And uh, he's just posted all these photos of um, a little town he's visited many times before, but he hasn't actually walked around and explored it and had a good look at it. And uh, to me, um, Snag's doing the the right thing. He's really enjoying his his travel around. So um, there are different ways to do it. And and as a newbie coming into it, I really think that look at, you know, don't, don't, Try and stress yourself too much on the bike. Use the bike. You know, and Snag stopped posting uh, just roads with a motorbike in it now. He's he's really um, opening his mind up to what's actually there, not just the road. One thing that used to annoy me when we first started travelling around Australia is we'd ride, we'd get somewhere, we'd go to our accommodation, we'd go to the pub, we'd have a meal, we'd go to bed, we'd get up, we'd get on the bike and we'd go riding. So we'd never see the towns that we stopped in. That is the point though, isn't it? Like, cause, cause we're talking about getting into motorcycle travel. The point is like Grant said, not to ride all the time because you're not adventure riding here. Yeah. This is motorcycle yeah. travel, a precursor to motorcycle travel. So you I think you almost need a theme, don't you? Or some interest in something other than just being on the motorcycle. Something other than being on the motorcycle is the secret. There are <laughs> other things and it doesn't matter what they are. There can be lots of things that catch your attention. I know I'm happy to go into a castle. Susan couldn't care less. It depends on what strikes your fancy at that moment. Be mm-hmm. open to serendipity. Ooh, that looks interesting. What's that? Ooh, what's that over there? Be open to it all. You see a sign at the side of the road. I remember we saw when uh, we were riding along in New Zealand. We were half an hour out from our campsite. And, ooh, helicopter rides to the glacier. Oh, that's cool. Let's do that. Yeah. That's not mm-hmm. something you would do as yeah. a normal thing. Yeah, take that's, that's, what the opportunities are take what's possible be open yeah yeah that's true I, I, I had visions that when when Sam said he'd like to explore the castles of Portugal I had visions of him riding in on his trusty steed in his medieval armour conquering the world <laughs> from the UK <laughs> you know Shades of Don Quixote what sort of imagination have you got 
<laughs> you said trusty steed too. I picture you more riding a donkey, Sam. Oh, I'm glad that Libby's not in earshot. <laughs> you know, the one thing I thought about with uh, with routes when it comes to this sort of thing is, and, and this goes, you know, comes from uh, my adventure background, is that uh, with it with doing adventure trips, you want to do less than half the distance you can cover in in your period of time because you have to go back, and sometimes when you're going back, you're tired, you're sore, you're also less motivated. So it's something to consider if you're heading out in one direction and coming back that that return time. Don't make it so it's a slog. Don't make it so that you've got to get on the highway and and push it and sort of make a miserable end to a trip. Uh, you could do a circle, which would be great, or some sort of loop or U-shape or, or something like that. But you really want to think about that return. I hear a lot of people who, who go out on adventures, even short adventures, well, especially short adventures, and make that beeline back. And, and in my mind, that, that's not really a... It's not a relaxing way to end a trip. Do it the other way around. I mostly do um, loops when I'm traveling, um, but I have no objection to going back on myself. And I absolutely get what what you're talking about because when when you're riding out on a um, a, a there and back um, journey, you've got a very different mindset to the mindset you've got coming back. And Birgit and I did a section in Norway where we had no choice but to go down this particular road and to come back up it. But the views were completely different coming back up. And the things that on the way out, I thought, oh, that might be quite interesting to stop. Oh, well, no, look at that bit. Um, well, on the way back, we could stop at the bit that we'd ridden on past. And I love allowing the time to do that. It just gives you double value. And you're so right about not stretching yourself. It's the old um, bomber pilot syndrome, isn't it? That so many got shot down on the, on the last sections of their journey because they were tired and not focusing anymore on anything except for just getting home. And that's the point I was going to make, Sam, is that most accidents happen within a, a very small radius of your own home, probably because of familiarity, probably because of tiredness, all sorts of things. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah exactly. How do limited funds play into this? Pre-trip spending is the real secret. How much money do you do you not spend or do you spend on the latest ah. phone, the latest going out with your friends to the pub every night, the, a better bottle of wine if you got to have your wine? How much money do you spend before you go on a trip? That's That to me is the real secret. Just ah, stop absolutely. spending it. Now, Fear so of the unknown is a, a wonderful sinkhole for cash, isn't it? Oh, I mean, huge. It's, it's, it's that and being yeah. attracted to bling. Um, the, you know, the companies are going to be a bit upset with me perhaps for saying this, but a lot of the, the kits that you need to do a, a trip, you've already got. Um, so just, you know, analyze um, what you really, really do need. Um, and a lot of traveling on the cheap comes from not spending money unnecessarily before you leave as well as not spending money unnecessarily on the road itself. And on the stuff itself. Because yeah, it's easy to think yeah. that you need that chair, the light, super lightweight chair, or you should get a new tent, all those sorts of things. Yep. No, mm-hmm. you don't need any of it. If, if we're, we're talking about a newbie getting started, a newbie either, a newbie has a bike, it's got a helmet, it's got riding gear, good to go. You can go with a credit card and stop in a cheap hotel every night, and that's all you need. Maybe a change of underwear or two would be nice. You know, keep keep people happy around you. But 
other than that, you don't need anything. Um, a friend of mine has been riding, well, we've been riding together since we were 16. He goes into the local Canadian Tire, which is kind of a cheap stuff, and he spends maximum of $89 on a tent. And he gets five years yeah. out of that tent, and he's out riding every every weekend or every week because he's now retired and he rides a lot. Um, he gets five years out of that tent. Yes, the floor's got a hole in it, but that's what a cheap tarp is for. He buys a $20 tent, solves that problem. He's got, I think he spent $60 on his new sleeping bag that he's really proud of because it's really good. But he's living on minimal pension. And he does it. He gets out there and he rides, spending almost nothing. It's just incredible. His pension is tiny. And he saves money every month. And he's out riding a minimum of 10 days every month. Well, that is the thing. That's the real secret that, that, that probably everyone knows is it's not how much you make, it's how much you spend. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't need the latest and greatest and super duper fancy stuff. You just don't need it. I disagree with you on one point here, Grant. I'm sorry, I have to I have to step out here. I honestly think that anyone going out on a trip should be taking changes of underwear. I don't think it's optional. <laughs> no, I agree. Okay. I, I, that's my choice. I know there's one guy who's... Uh, what was his title? Um, seven days, one shower. Okay. Oh, I don't think I want to know the details, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, as long as you're not in near anybody, you do that. That's just fine. <laughs> but that's your Camping option. Was he English? Yep. Was he, was he English? I'm not going to give any more details <laughs> about who he is. <laughs> well, you know where to hide money in an English house underneath the soap. <laughs> oh dear oh, oh man I'm just trying to remember when I last used the bar so <laughs> Sam I'm sorry you had to hear that <laughs> oh, of course everybody knows my hiding place darn it well you know one of the favorite places for hiding your money is inside your riding boots mm-hmm. yep. he's going to go um, oh dear this, I mean I, I think that um the most important thing for, to start off with is your bike being in good enough condition to not get in the way, especially if you're limited amount of time. In other words, it's not going to want to be breaking down all the time unless you're um, the type of person that enjoy the people connections and so on that you make because your bike breaks down. But I would also say um, have yourself a good condition helmet and um, good condition boots. The, if, you, if you've got those sitting happy, you can do an awful lot and do it safely and with a smile. Yeah. Too many people spend the entire trip budget on a perfect bike. That's the, that's the real problem. Yeah. Yeah. How many people well, say, well, what's the what's the perfect bike, guys? Come on, tell me, what's the perfect bike? The bike you have. Yeah. The bike you have. Yeah, the one you got. Yeah, Sam's comment about don't get sucked in by the bling. I think that's a really good line. You know, the advertising bling is, it is a, it's just making you spend money. One of my good riding mates has, remember a set of, uh, motorcycle gauntlets that they used to wear in the 1960s. He still wears them. <laughs> Rabbit fur lined gauntlets. <laughs> nice. It's getting your money's worth. In South Dakota, those sound amazing. I want some. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't spend a lot of money. And, uh, you know, the money you should spend is on your helmet and your boots, as, as Sam said. And, and, and you can get. Good riding gear, dirt cheap. Don't have to buy the latest, greatest thing that's going to cost you thousands of dollars. Uh, Comfortable, efficient gear. 
That's yeah. the key, the a, key phrase, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. There's a website here that you can do comparisons of gear, yeah. and a lot of the really, really expensive gear, I shall not name, doesn't come up on safety ratings as well as some of the cheaper gear. Exactly. So mm-hmm. just because you spend a lot of money doesn't mean you're going to get the best. Yeah. Well, there's a little tidbit on that I just want to throw out, kind of a little bit of an aside. A lot of the cheap riding gear has poor armor. The, the uh, padding they put in is cheap and poor. For surprisingly little money, you can get D3O armor just to replace it all. Um, yep. I'm just looking at right. a, a pair of knee pads. The top-end latest Ruka knee pads, which, and Ruka, as soon as you put that on, that jumps the price, although I wear Ruka and I love it. But 60 bucks for a pair of knee pads, that's the latest and greatest armor. And you can get down as low as about $30, and it's still D3O armor. How cheap can you get? And I think one of the things is we're talking here about um, getting into adventure, aren't we? So we're not talking about heading out on the road for a year, two years. So mm. using the gear that we've already got makes an awful lot of sense. You know, I was thinking the other day, one of my bike jackets is really old, um, but it started to leak a little bit under, um, underneath the arms. And I was thinking, well, if that was the only jacket I had, uh, would I go out and buy a new one before trying to to go out on an adventure for the first time, uh, on 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 a long, you know, on a journey, a travel? Um, well, no, I wouldn't. I'd buy myself a Packer Mac and wear it over the top because hey, I might not like yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly right. Would I head I out gonna... on a bigger trip with that? No, I probably wouldn't. I was going to bring that up about waterproof gear and all the rest of it. I hate waterproof gear where you have to do a strip tease on the side of the road, put bloody waterproof gear in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got to take it off and put it in. I just hate it. I can't see the point. I'd much prefer to buy cheap over pants, over jackets and stuff like that, which um, which I've done. And it's so much easier to get on and off and, um, you know, regulate your temperature depending on what, what conditions you're in. So I wouldn't spend a fortune on, on wet weather gear. Are you talking about the zip yeah. in the zip underneath gear, like the waterproof? Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. yeah I, I don't yeah. like that either myself. I, I like to have a waterproof jacket, yeah. but or when my jackets start to leak, same thing. Just get some sort of raincoat that goes over top. Yeah. And, and if, don't if be embarrassed thinking, when you go in, and it has to be uh, three sizes bigger than what you normally take because you're putting it over the top of a motorcycle jacket. Yeah. yeah. And we are very lucky that we live in, in the days of um, Facebook sales pages and eBay and all of the rest of it. So if you're looking at your kit and you're thinking, oh, I really, really want to go out on a, on a, on a journey, um, but I know that this is worn out or whatever, then don't get new. Go and have a look and see because you can find some incredible bargains. I saw some bike trousers a couple of days back and brand new, these bike trousers were £200. Um, and the guy who'd worn them, he said, seven times, um, was selling them for fifty pounds because somebody gave him a yeah. pair that fit him better. Um, and it, it was he was just passing it on. Well, yeah, great, okay, that works. There's a place in Vancouver that sells nothing but used motorcycle clothing, and you know it's not a big shop, but it's twenty by twenty and it's full of stuff, and it's like seventy five percent off on average is the going price. It's just remarkably cheap. So don't be fussy and does it fit and is it in good shape? Good enough. And then you find out also what matters and what doesn't on the trip. Like like Sam's saying about, you know, the outer arms leaking in the jacket. 
it's the stuff you can ride with and, and figure out what do I really care about? What really bothers me that didn't work out on this trip? As Brian said, sort of a shakedown, you know, maybe I want a high quality tent. Maybe I want a high quality sleeping bag or need one or whatever the case is. It's a good time to figure that out without spending a whole bunch of money on everything. You know, you're not, you're not spending all that, all that cash up front, like Grant's saying, you're going out, trying it and then figuring out what, what do I really need? Yeah, that's a great idea. And I, I think I've purchased things, uh, both camping equipment and riding gear on eBay and have had really good luck with it. The other thing that I've done um, is buy gear that are is closeout gear, sometimes on some of the motorcycle gear websites. And as a woman, I actually find that I can buy men's boots in they're smaller sizes. So they're not popular for men, but they're a good size for me because I wear like a seven in men's boots. And oftentimes they'll be discontinued and they will be sizes that they're willing to offer significant discounts for. Mm. And they're the perfect size for me. So that's kind of a way that I've found uh, two good pairs of boots. Yeah. Size seven and 13 are the ones that are usually left over. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know what it's like in, yeah, in the I, States I, and, and Canada and Australia, but um, in the UK, children's clothing has a very small amount of tax on it in comparison to adults' clothing. Mm-hmm. And um, for people with small feet, I'm always saying, hey, look, go and look in the, in the child section of the, of the bike store. You'd be amazed at the difference in price. Mm. I bet. Oh, I, don't think, I don't think it would work for me. I'm waiting here now, Brian, for Grant to pipe up with a, a retaliatory comment with something about big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, he's the size I, thirteen. I left myself, I left myself <laughs> over there. Yeah, but no, look, my, my riding gear is, and I, I wear a BMW jacket. I've got BMW pants and all that sort of stuff. And you know what? It's second hand. I didn't pay thousands of dollars for it. I paid four hundred bucks, mm-hmm. and it's great gear. And um, that's often mate, and, and um, it's fantastic. So, you, you, and the boots at, at at least ten years old. I've still got a pair of boots that I, I had handmade um, by a little um, saddler um, in the nineteen seventies, which are beautiful um, leather um, riding boots, like um, road riding boots. But my standard riding boots that I've worn around the world a couple of times. At least a decade old, so and they, and they weren't the most expensive ones on the market either, and they're still waterproof. Wow. So you know, you look after your stuff. Does anything last like that now, though, Brian? I mean, anything you buy today? Well, well, we'd like to think so. Yeah. You, well, you can buy waterproof socks know. to go inside leaky boots. You can, you can. You can. So, yeah. so, so, what if you get a wet foot every now and then? You know, big deal. You know, you're not riding in the rain all the time. Yeah, I remember. I. I since Brian brought up my age, I'm going to go back to when, when I first started riding. I had I had a pair of jeans and I had a pair of um, what do you call it work boots, regular just leather work boots, and that was it. Uh, and for a jacket, it was a corduroy jacket, no padding, nothing. And the rain gear consisted of well, you go into the local place that sells stuff to the guys that are working on the highways and the roads, and buy. Big waterproof overpants. They didn't breathe. They didn't do anything. But dang, they were dry mm-hmm. and they were cheap. You know, has suspenders and pull it all on and an open face helmet because in those days, full face helmets hadn't been invented. There you go, Brian. 
Grant, your first bike was steam powered, wasn't it? <laughs> when you had to light the lantern in the in the in the headlight and all that sort yeah, of stuff. The kerosene lantern. <laughs> I, you just made me smile, Grant, with uh, with the story about you know the um, waterproof over trousers. When Birgit and I were on the way through Colombia, we were riding um, some dirt roads, and I had a really nice pair of um, waterproof over trousers. And I loved these things, but I obviously hadn't strapped them on the bike well enough. And I lost them on this dirt road. We went back and we searched for about three hours trying to find these things because I was sure I was never going to find another pair as good as these. Anyway, we, we didn't. Went around all the bike shops in, yep. in Bogota, nothing. Um, so we went into the back streets and um, we were hunting around the hardware shops. And um, yeah, I found some some waterproof over trousers. The only trouble in Colombia was that most of the guys that seemed to be the ones working on the roads were Indian, and therefore um, they were about five foot one tall and not six foot one tall. So, and they all tended to be fairly broad of the waist. So, I ended up looking like Coco the clown wearing these um, these trousers, which, which kept me dry from from the knee upwards. Yeah. Birgit ended up making me some waterproof trousers. Uh, out of um, um, black garbage plastic um, held together with duct tape. It's a lovely photograph of me being measured up for it. Um, I rode a very crinkly ride from that time onwards. It's amazing what you can do with black plastic garbage bags. It is. And duct tape. And duct tape. Yeah. Grant, you, you got me thinking about when I first went riding. I had, and I remember the old um, uh, RAAF or RAF flying boots you used to get. The, the, I had a pair of them and I had an army great coat and um, riding along like that with open face helmet. And, you know, when it rains, those army great coats weigh about two tonne. They just absorb water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they never dry out. I think it rotted away eventually. <laughs> yeah. But the, the point is that you can get away with, with very, very little. I mean, your hands aren't warm enough. Well, you know, you can get some cardboard and some tape, which you can usually scrounge at a hardware store for next to nothing, and tape up some quickie hand guards in front of your hands to keep your hands dry and warm. Uh, you can do a lot of things that's very minimalist, costs next to nothing. You just have to have no pride. <laughs> and the ability no to ego. lateral think. And when, the ability when, to lateral think. Exactly, Sam. I had a pair of hand guards on my bike for a little while, and um, these were made out of um, milk bottles, plastic milk bottles from just oh, yes. usual Perfect. stuff you get from the supermarket. And I cut one side out and used the, not, the the neck to go over the handlebars. They were really good. Cost me absolutely nothing except for two cable ties and a bit of time. Why did you yep. take them off, Sam? Did you take them in for the refund, the deposit? <laughs> <laughs> that is really funny, though. I mean, they leaked on one side. Oh. <laughs> no, I mean they were great, but yeah, but I upgraded to Alaskan fisherman trousers. Oh wow, those would be dry. Oh yeah, oh, yeah they, they were, they were yeah. great. Birgit and I were in um, uh, Anacortes, and mm -hmm. uh, and um, we were staying with a guy who had been a fisherman up in um, Alaska. And he was never, no longer doing it before. But anybody who knows the, the sort of gear that the fishermen up there wear, this is heavy-duty waterproof kit, orange and just fantastic. And um, Birgit had found herself um, doing a job working with a lady who was making chaps and saddlebags and things like that for Harley-Davidson riders. So she had the sewing machines and all of this sort of stuff. 
and uh, Birgit made me some uh, some handguards out of these Alaskan fisherman trousers, which I still have and I still use. And at the same time, she used the legs to make me um, a waterproof roll bag to go on the back of the bike again, which I I still have. Unfortunately, that does leak now, but um, it's had a good life. But yeah, lateral thinking, making up what you can out of what you can find. Um, it's it's and having it's a talented partner, Sam. It sounds like oh, yeah. you couldn't do it yourself. If it wasn't for Burger, you'd still be wandering around with plastic bags on your feet. <laughs> Surely, I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> Burger had some pride. <laughs> What's the um, what do you guys think is the most expensive thing that you the most expense the, or the the place you're spending the most money on any sort of travel like this? The bike, the bike. Too much money on the bike. That's number one, right up front. It's all, we're we're all talking, I mean, I'm surprised because it's interesting that you bring this up, that we're talking about the pre-trip spending being the most expensive. Yeah, definitely. That's the agree with that. Yeah, totally. But after that. I I think, you know, bring it back to what you're using, a lot tires, chains, sprockets. That's it, basically. You know, everything else, you know, and, um, the most expensive thing to probably buy on the road is bits and pieces for your bike that wear out, like a tire or a chain or a sprocket. I thought you were going to say fuel. With all of the things that Brian's just mentioned, um, I have been called a cheapskate on more than one occasion, but huh. maybe that's because I know what my priorities are and that helps me to budget. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't skimp on tires, I don't skimp on chains or sprockets, and I don't skimp on inner tubes. All of those have to be the best that I can find at the time. Because yeah, yeah. they're the difference between having a very smiley safe trip and not. Yeah. Safety stuff has always got to be a priority. Yeah. The most expensive thing is on the trip is a stay in hospital. Uh, yeah, yeah, true. Oh, that's very okay. true, Grant. And, and also, you know, maintain it properly too. You know, that's mm-hmm. the other thing. You know, just check your chain, you know, every, every time you, know, you stop for the day or whatever it is. Or check your tyre pressures and... You know, run your tyres around and make sure there's no cuts, slashes or anything that might cause a problem tomorrow, you know. That sort of stuff. It's all preventative maintenance, but it makes your trip go a little easier. Yeah, why set yourself up for a problem that's going to be expensive and take you the time that you have? Yeah. Right. If you can do it, that makes perfect sense. So I'm thinking like an expensive thing with hotels. I mean, because Grant, you mentioned, you know, going to a cheap hotel. Well, even a cheap hotel is fairly expensive, you know. If you camping is obviously the the cheap method. If you can find places to camp for free, in particular, that would be the that would take a you know sort of add to the distance you can go or, or reduce the amount of money you need to spend. Is there anything else in there that we that we can reduce um, where you can save money? Yeah, I was don't thinking drink of and don't smoke. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. I I see what like I don't drink and I don't smoke. Never have. And I see the amount of money that people spend. I saw somebody's budget once on booze and cigarettes for his trip for two years or something. And it was a staggering amount of money, especially today with the increase in prices in cigarettes. It's like, wow, I water it. I can travel on his booze bill. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so you really got to think about that. People, um, some people do enjoy um, a drink and a cigarette. I and know. if you if you decide to cut those out of your budget and go on your trip, you might have a bit of extra money, but you're going to be absolutely miserable. Well, yeah. and that's the trade-off. Because you're going to be you missing out. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, do you want well, to travel or do you want to 
have a good time going to the pub and having a drink and having your cigarette and all the rest of it. And this is part of the budget decisions that everybody has to make. Where do you want to spend your money? What matters to you? Right. And if you're if you're 20 or 18 versus 70 and traveling, your accommodation choices are going to be different. Your food choices are going to be different. Your entertainment choices are going to be different. And you have to make the decision where to cut. If you have a super tight budget, well, yeah, booze and cigarettes is a big expense that has to be thought about. And that's the beauty of this kind of travel. You get to tailor it to what your budget is, what your time frame is, what your preference is, your your priorities, I guess. And Mm -hmm. and I know some people really like going out, and I'm one of those, like going to a local pub and kind of uh, see that as a way to meet local people and kind of experience the culture wherever I'm at, even if it's just a different part of the state that I live in or a different part of the United States um, that I'm riding through. I like that. So I'll budget in, not necessarily nightly. In fact, especially when I'm watching a budget um, closely, I don't do that very often, but I do splash out for a nice meal once or twice during the trip, just so that I can kind of um, experience that and have conversations and meet locals. I think for me, I I was thinking when I was looking at costs and doing this on a budget, I was thinking, assuming that the bike is the bike I already have, the most expensive part of a trip like this for me would be accommodations, as Jim had mentioned. And for me, I was thinking of some ways that you can cut costs. I really like to camp personally. And I find that that's something that obviously is budget friendly, but also is not something I do at home. When I'm at home, I'm indoors. So it's, it's really a way to, to push your boundaries and feel very different than you do. So it feels a bit more like a trip, even if it's, you know, kind of tiring and, and roughing it for some people. A night or two of camping really just adds something special to a trip to me, if, if not even more time than that in a tent. Um, but there's a couple of other ways that I've saved money when traveling um, for accommodations. One of those is ADV Rider used to have a tent space um, outlet. Uh, also, Bunka Biker is a website that's out there where you can find people that are housing uh, riders as they're traveling. And I know that there's a Bunka Biker branch set up in the UK. There's a few of those around. So maybe there's some opportunities there to find people that are hosting riders as they're traveling through. And I actually uh, did a stint a week in Colombia working on a coffee farm through Help Exchange. So that meant that I was doing work on a coffee farm part-time, but I was given room and board for the week that I was there and I worked, you know, four or five hours a day. In exchange for that housing, it was really a great kind of a win-win. I was able to save the expense of staying in that area for a week, but also it opened the door to meet other travelers and to meet some locals that I could stay with them and, and learn about the local culture. And bonus, I got to learn what it's like to pick coffee and work on a coffee farm and and what that uh, entire part of life is like, because that's not something I'd ever seen before. As I recall from your book, Michelle, there was a price to that, though. There was. (laughs) (laughs) The owner's wife, wasn't it? Oh, my gosh, you've got a good memory. And I hope she's not listening. I'm kidding. She's not listening, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So in the evenings, as she was cooking dinner, wink, wink, she was wandering around and enjoying her evenings off. She would also have me babysit her little boy. 
So I wound, I wound up working more like 12 to 14 hours a day. <laughs> so, she saw you coming, Michelle. <laughs> she did. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's spot on, Michelle. You know, like in Australia, you can do that. You can go and work on a, on a, on a station and in the middle of nowhere and uh, do exactly that same thing. And I was going to mention um, – backpacker accommodation. You meet some great people there. If you're a little bit of a party animal or you like mixing with people, a lot of backpackers um, uh, find their way to these places and you can have a, a hell of a good time um, pretty much on the cheap um, using that sort of accommodation. My friend Greg, who's travelling around, he's budgeted for two nights in a hotel or motel uh, and five nights camping. That's the way he wants to do it. And uh, I think um, for a long trip like that, that's not a bad way to go. Yeah, he's on the older side of the equation. Oh yeah, he's on yeah yeah he's on the older side of the equations, but that's that's okay. There's some really great points there, and that what a great way to turn the trip, even a short trip, into something special by going and volunteering somewhere, doing it at some sort of exchange. The great ideas, I really like that. And Michelle, what you said about camping, I thought was excellent as well because it puts you out of your comfort zone, as you said, and and sort of adds to your experience because obviously you're gonna you're likely to have a, a different experience, a much in my mind better experience camping at least some of the time rather than sleeping in a hotel room hotel room you're going to end up going to sleep and that's it whereas the camping you might sit up under the stars or sit around the campfire so add a whole new you know sort of uh, experience to what you're doing i like yeah. that yeah i totally agree with um with you both on those comments and when you're staying at a hotel it's it's harder to meet people too um you stay in a camping site uh, and then there's there's a neighbor and people People just sort of, because there's no door and no wall in between you and each other, um, the, the communication just happens that much more quickly, doesn't it? It just takes a, an ice-breaking comment and all of a sudden you, you've got some great storytelling and things like that going on. And, oh, yeah, well, yeah, and this way you need to go and see that. And talking of which, um, one of my top tips for um, traveling on a cheap is if you've got a shorter amount of time but you wish to see quite a lot, then plan more. Don't throw the maps away for what you want to do, but learn about the road possibilities, the things to see, um, and what you can link up with to do in the different towns and, and so on. Um, on a big trip, you have more time to be more flexible unless you, your visa or the weather are lined up against you. But if I'm on a shorter trip, for example, I'm going to use Google and I'm going to use it to hunt out special offers and reduce price options for the different places that I'm going to go to. And America, USA has a perfect example with the America the Beautiful Pass for national parks. I mean, $85. Um, what a fantastic budget way of visiting some awesome places. And if you want to travel in Europe for a few weeks or a month, whatever you can get away, then there are things like um, nomadsunveiled.com. Europe tourist city passes. And there are sites like this that open up um, discount passes for you to get into museums and attractions and all sorts of things. So it's worth hunting online for those because all of a sudden, these cheap options, which make a massive difference with A, what you can see, but B, what you're spending, they'll, they'll just come out. One of the massive advantages of Google, isn't it, that we've got those things if we go looking. What a great tip. Plan more. That, that's really good. I like that because that, yeah, saves yeah. you wasting your time. That's really good. Um, this thought is really aimed at somebody who wants to travel and has managed to get the time together to do something out of their own country and perhaps travel in several countries. 
And that is um, never assume that the price for something um, in one country is going to be the same in the next. And food and fuel are perfect examples of that. So, you know, you might have been in one country um, eating salad vegetables really, really cheaply, but you roll across into the next one and they're gobsmacking, yet meat can be um, really cheap. Argentina's the perfect example of that, isn't it? Um, steak in Argentina cost buttons, but vegetables cost a fortune. Um, you roll from Turkey into Iran and the difference in fuel prices is just massive. And I've said this before, but you know, when you're rolling into a new country, stay in a hotel to begin with and um, have a list of the foods that you'd like to eat as, you know, just standard basic food items, bread, um, margarine, peanut butter, those, those sorts of things. Um, and just get the hotel receptionist to sit down with you, pay them with a coffee um, and just run through the different prices of the things in, in their country because that can make a massive difference to you and your budget, particularly if you're heading into the markets to bargain for things. You know that you're not being taken advantage of because you're very, very obviously um, a visitor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, um, it's quite a nice thing to do. And I think the other thing that um, helps you to travel on the cheap too is having at least three days worth of food with you um, if you can carry it with, you, with your type of luggage because that just allows you to take advantage of opportunities but it also means that you're not doing things like rolling into a town tired, hungry and spending money on a meal out when actually um, all you want to do is stoke the boiler and go to sleep. Yeah, I try and get into town earlier than that. When you, oh, yeah. you arrive into town tired and hungry, you've been riding far too far that day. Or you've sooner. had a puncture or, you know, a breakdown yeah, or something, or something like wrong. that. And sure. this is the perfect example because those things do happen. Or you've just kept on seeing so amazing things <laughs> that you've kept on stopping and looking and taking photos and talking to the locals and where you wanted to get to all of a sudden. Um, yeah, that's a, a dark arrival. Yeah, I, I, for me, that is the time when you do spend money at a restaurant. Um, but it depends on where you are. If you're in a, so we say, a non-Western country, make sure you don't eat at the local KFC or McDonald's because you can walk down the street and the, the local eateries where the locals eat are far cheaper. I was mm -hmm. stunned at the difference in price in Panama a couple of years ago. Um, McDonald's was expensive. And then we went into his local eatery and we both ate for, I think it was like $6 for a huge plate of food. No problem. It was excellent. Really, really tasty for half the price of McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, not, you don't necessarily want to eat Western food. You know, we tend to do a really simple non-cooked breakfast like fruit and muesli. We'll buy bananas or whatever we can get at the local market and carry them with us. Uh, some muesli and carry some powdered milk. And that works really well for breakfast, maybe make sandwiches for lunch, and then, or maybe we'll eat at a roadside vendor, something local, inexpensive, good food. Um, and for dinner, well, whatever we can find, not, not in the hotel, preferably if we're staying in a hotel. And we tend to stay in a hotel every third or fourth night. Camping is great, but sometimes you really want a shower. She insists at times. <laughs> I have been made to sleep with my feet outside of the tent. 
<laughs> but you know, a no few, few shows back, we talked about uh, the possibilities of flying into a country, renting a motorcycle, and going traveling for three or four weeks, for example, doing that. Well, this is one of the things, food, that makes a, a, a real difference because there are some countries in the world where the main meal is eaten at lunchtime and it's dirt cheap. You, you hunt a restaurant for a meal in the evening and it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. So, eat out at lunchtime if you're if you're in one of those countries it's worth doing that little bit of that sort of research to find that those sort of information and talking about what you just said about flying into a country is another great way to actually travel on a, a surprisingly cheap budget i know some people that flew from canada to thailand this is a few years ago but they spent five thousand dollars flying both of them to thailand for two weeks renting motorcycles food everything five thousand dollars canadian Mm-hmm. That's nice. a pretty cheap, nice vacation. Yeah, nice. Yep, that's Those are all of, great that, ideas. That that, uh, that kills one of our criteria here, which was riding from home. But I think that's a really good point. That if you if you do want to do that next step, that's a way to do it. Go just go rent something. You just rent a, a local bike. Yeah. There's all kinds of rental options out there now. Yeah, I know a teacher in the UK who used to fly to India every summer. You know, he's not teaching for three months. And he says, I can fly to India, rent on the Royal Enfield, ride around for less than it would take, cost me to stay in my hotel or my apartment in London and do nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, a thought that pops into my mind as you talk about that is enjoy the concept of um, your pre-tripped ideas about you want what you want out of the travel. But actually still have this little bit of mental space that allows you to grow with what you're seeing and getting involved with um, and allows you to change direction because you're changing yourself. The road's changing you. Your journey's changing you. Take advantage of that. You may surprise yourself. You know, Grant brought up a really good point, too, regarding food, because food and drink in particular can be you know, something that's a bit of expense, especially if, as you mentioned, you're getting into town late in the day. I, as um, Grant mentioned, picking up some fruit and muesli for breakfast, I do something similar oftentimes for dinner. I'll stop at a grocery store rather than a restaurant um, and pick up maybe some sliced meat, some sliced cheese, some fresh bread, and maybe a piece of fruit. And then that's what I have at camp for dinner if I don't feel like cooking. Mm-hmm. But I'll sometimes have prepared meals that I can take with me, maybe dehydrated meals are an option. Um, there's something that at least keeps you fed and keeps you tidied over. So again, you're really not stuck having to go to a restaurant and it kind of keeps you within your budget if you need to. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we used to do that a lot for the roadside lunch. I've got a picture of Susan using the seat of the bike as the the, the repairing surface for the <laughs> afternoon lunch. And it, it's the same thing as you're saying. A bit of meat, sliced meat, some cheese, bread, good to go. It mm-hmm. works really well. Do you, you talk about that? Uh, Michelle made me think about um, a friend that Birgit and I have. His name's Damien, and um, he's a real lightweight hiker. So, in other words, he doesn't carry a tent. Um, he carries a sleeping bag. He carries no change of clothes except for a pair of socks. Um, and just the, the places that he goes incredible um I, you know he tells stories about sitting in a um a black garbage bin liner in the laundrette washing his socks and his underwear <laughs> um, and, and his shirt and his um shorts because he's got no other clothes so he just sits there wearing, wearing the garbage bag hey why not but um he does prepare um 
dehydrated meals before he goes. And so he cooks up huge pots of chili and, and he de- dehydrates them. And uh, Birgit and I were offered one of, you know, a couple of sachets of this. And we thought, yeah, why not? Let's see what it tastes like. Whoa, his tolerance for heat was way more than ours. <laughs> bring tears to my eyes just thinking about how hot that stuff was. I'm just thinking of this hiker with no change of clothes and a whole bunch of dried chili. <laughs> that is not a social trip by any means, I'm sure. No. <laughs> Sam, a question about your friend Damien. Hmm. <laughs> is he single? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. He will remain so. <laughs> just wondering. <laughs> well, this, this is great. I mean, we, there's a lot of great things that came from this. You know, the camping. I was going to mention about the camping uh, because somebody said about, um, I think it was Sam talking to the neighbors when you're camping. I guess that's one reason why you might want to pay for camping because that'll give you more of a, of a social aspect. And the whole idea of what we're talking about here is to to get some sort of um, feeling for motorcycle travel. So you may want to camp in the wilderness some, but maybe you want to go and camp in a campground and, and meet some other people who might be traveling around and doing some same things. I think that's great. The volunteering as well. What a great way to get to know locals, maybe learn some things like Michelle did with the coffee, planning more. Definitely, you know, plan more so you, you don't waste time, um, you know, get in there and, and get to see the things you want. And, and I know when you're saying that, Sam, you're not talking about over planning. You're just saying, you know, make good use of your time, eating local food uh, and definitely curbing the, the pre-trip spend. That, that You know, great. That, that's great. Does anyone else have anything else to add to this? Anything else you thought of that we should throw in here before we wrap it up? I did have one thing that I was Um, thinking of as a hotelier, and this probably is why it comes to mind for me. Consider the timing, if you have flexibility at all, of doing your travel at the beginning or end of the season. uh, So avoiding peak season wherever you're going. mm -hmm. So the, the Black Hills where I live, for example, are just packed from early June to, say, the end of August, something like that. And then a lot of families go back to school. But if you can travel, if the weather allows in early May, you're beating the rush. Hotel prices, campground prices are cheaper. Just make sure that places are open for the season. But if you're going to a seasonal destination, if you can catch that fringe season, you can save some money. Good tip. Uh, Brian, you had something? Yeah, we haven't really mentioned bikes, but um, you don't need a big bike. You don't need an expensive bike. And I, I, I um, was thinking of the Zen and the Art of Motorcycle. You know, the, he used a black bomber, a 450cc Honda, to travel right across America. Well, you know, you, you don't, again, you don't need the latest and greatest. And I, I see a big trend going towards smaller adventure and travel bikes um i don't know whether anyone else has noticed that but to me that's that's the way um the world is going a lot cheaper to run a lot cheaper to maintain and um just as capable as everything else does that mean you're going to get rid of big red and get a small one you won't let me get rid of big red (laughs) (laughs) brian what bikes um do you have any in, in like that you can think of off the top of your head that people are starting turning to more I think I think the middle range um, adventure bikes are pretty good. No, but which, which ones are you a, seeing more of? Like when you're saying there's oh, more of a trend towards that smaller eight, adventure bike. Yeah, uh, um, or maximum size, you know, 800 cc BMW twins. Um, uh, the um, uh, the Kia, it's the three nineties. Yeah, the, uh, things like that. But anything to me, anything that's capable of sitting on the speed limit is fine. You know. Mm-hmm. 
That's all. You, that's really all you need when you're adventure riding, and uh, lighter bikes too. You know, I know KTM's bikes are quite quite expensive, but by gee, they're very capable um, travel bikes too. And, and all the manufacturers are getting into it now, um, and I believe that you know, Royal Enfield is going to produce a, a six fifty adventure bike out of that six hundred and fifty twin they've got. Which would be a very, very capable little thing. Their engine's quite good, so you know um, you don't need a big, expensive um, uh, super tour like uh, our big red. You don't need it, but you know it's, it's nice up to you. Too up though. Oh, of course it is. Of course. Yeah. yeah no, but I, you know, I can remember travelling on my CB three hundred and fifty Honda Twin, two up, and, and yep. going you know four hundred miles. Um, you know, with all that gear on, all, all, all bit, you know, and you're sitting on 60 mile an hour. You know, that's okay. Yeah. So you don't need a big expensive bike, really. No, just, just the, the ego wants a big expensive bike, and your friends all say you need a big bike. And when I first started riding, a big bike was a 650 BSA, and that was like, oh, that's a big bike, boy. you got to have some experience to be able to ride that. Everybody was riding. Yeah. I mean, I had a 250 Ducati Scrambler. And a friend of mine had a 160, and one of the guys that rode with us was on a Honda 55. Yeah. And, and we rode everywhere together. The guy in the 55 was always last, and he was absolutely flat out. And he was six feet tall and 180 pounds, but he got there. <laughs> Just think about when you go touring through Vietnam, you know, the, the bikes they use over there, 185 CC Hondas are probably the best bike over there, better than a 250, mm -hmm. you know. Just depends where you are and what you're doing. Ride local, it's a really good thing. Yeah, I mean, you made the comments about um, big bikes. I actually quite like my big bike. And all right, she's only 800cc, but you stick a, a nine-gallon tank on it, and all of a sudden, she becomes a big bike. Yeah. But I like riding um, sure. a bigger bike, and I like what it allows me to do um, and so on. But if I if I really wanted to travel and I didn't have a travel suitable motorcycle, then yeah, why not look for the smaller ones? Um, ADV Moto magazine produced um, a piece fairly re recently about the, um, um, the the Himalayan, which they yeah. have uh, modded out and so on. And there's all sorts of stuff that you can do with these bikes. And I think it's a, it's, a lot of it comes down to mindset change. Mindset change into um, what do I really need? How fast do I really want to go and do I need to go? And um, what's my wallet size? And you can find bikes that just mid-range size. I mean, I'm thinking about the CB500, for example. What a cracking bike that is. Um, and I'm seeing more and more people traveling on the BMW 310. Um, they're making some modifications to it because it wasn't necessarily designed for riding dirt and so on. But it will. Um, but you know, I still can see that there is a place for the bigger bikes. But if I'm just getting into oh, traveling sure. to begin with, would I buy one? Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. No, no, I wouldn't. Well, that's that's exactly right, Sam. And and I, and I like my big bike too. But I've you know, been riding for a long time. If you're first starting out, you think mm -hmm. about it. Your 800 cc Libby won't outperform a modern day 650, which will cost you probably less half the price of what you would pay for an 800cc BMW, even Libby nowadays. Oh, absolutely, without doubt, and will suck a mm. hell of a lot less fuel than mm. Libby does. Mm. I'm calling Libby Libby the Lush at the moment because <laughs> the full fuel price is core. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get it. 
Well, well, let's take a quick break and uh, then we'll come back. We're coming back to a listener question that we have here. So, um, this, uh, this episode is supported by freshtracks.co.uk. Freshtracks has been around since the 90s, and they work with companies or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, and build communication skills through team building exercises, working with companies like uh, Comic Relief, Yahoo, Mars, Pfizer, things like that. Have a look at freshtracks.co.uk. Thank you, Freshtracks. Now, um, and also the, the, the guy who owns Freshtracks is also a writer, just like everybody here. So um, for this one, for, for part two, we've got a listener question. By the way, before we, we do this, if you have uh, a topic or an idea, if you're sitting here listening and you're thinking, you know, they, they should be discussing this or they, they should talk about that, drop us a line. Go by the website, adventureriderradio.com. There's a link at the top uh, on the links across the top of the page called Pitch a Story. Just click on that and, and send us your idea, your, your question, your, your topic idea, anything, and, and then maybe on here and we may end up talking about it. So today we're covering a question sent in by William Garton. Thank you, William, for the question. Will writes, I've been thinking for some time about the fact that my wife is a happy pillion, but not a rider. We're working on that. But I've been thinking now, or sorry, but I've been thinking that there might be situations like illness, exhaustion, or injury that might keep me from safely operating the bike while we're out on the road. How important might it be that she be able to take the controls at least to a place where we could recuperate? That's his question there. So my initial thoughts on this question is, is, is to do with the way it's written. And you guys tell me if you read into this the same way that I'm about to tell you that I did when I read the question. I feel like William's looking for some way to justify getting his wife, for kind of pushing her to get her motorcycle license, forcing the issue, so to speak. And my feeling is that's kind of the wrong approach. Did, did you guys get that from the question? And I'm not chastising Will for it at all. I'm just saying that I, I'm this right from the start, I, I, I see a problem with this. Yeah, I've seen this a million times. <laughs> it's, it's definitely, he wants her to ride. And if she wants to ride, that's great. But if she has no interest, doesn't express any interest, is, is afraid to, is very small, there's no way she's going to be able to ride your bike or two-up bike anyway. So I think it's very important not to push her into riding if she's not interested. Susan, we, we, Susan and I had this conversation when we first got together. And I, I put her beside the bike and said, can you hold it up? No. She probably almost dropped it. I had to catch it. Way too heavy for her. Um, she's only five foot four. Couldn't even come close to reaching the ground, even on the R80. Um, so physically too small, not experienced. It's going to take too long to get her to a point where she's confident on the road. And I would feel comfortable seeing her ride. And she certainly had no interest whatsoever. I mean, she drives the car and drives, she's a very good car driver, but does she have any interest in driving? None. She uses a car to get there. That's it. So I think it's very important to make that decision. Does she want to ride? Is she interested in riding? Is she excited to ride or not? And I think you have to go with that. Yeah, Jim, I didn't actually read the question that way. I didn't take it that way, but it's I, mean, I can see how you would have. Um, I just kind of took it at face value and and really 
my initial response is that while of course there are times that that might seem like it's convenient, it doesn't always work that way. And I have a number of scenarios and things that I've seen happen with other people and with myself that really, I don't know that even that prepares you for any situation that you find out on the road. So you just need to be flexible. And most of the time, in fact, all of the time, People find solutions wherever they are. They find support. They can find people with a vehicle to transport a bike. Somehow, some way, you find resources and connections and, and you make things work with, with or without a pillion who can also ride. But most, people, most, most people go on a trip one up, not two up. The majority of travelers you come across are riding on their own. So what do they do when they get sick? Mm. You know, hire a rider? Of course not. <laughs> Good you point. Know, they they um, find someone with a truck. They find a hotel that they can just bunker down in until they feel better. If the bike breaks down, you know, if you have an accident and you can't ride the bike, well, it's not going to matter who's – if someone's on the back, they're probably going to be more injured than you are anyway. So um, uh, we talked momentarily when we were planning our first trip about me learning to ride. And the world is a much safer place that I don't. Susan <laughs> <But laughs> would say the same thing. <laughs> we, we met people. We met people on the road that had gone down that track, and the wife was the reluctant rider. We met one couple that every time they stopped in a town, she would bail off her bike and get on the back of his because she didn't find it comfortable. She didn't enjoy it. Days were arduous, you know. Days she, they were nerve wracking times for her. It's, um, I just find it um, staggering. Don't put this, you can go push people to expand themselves beyond their comfort zone, but not into crazy, stupid things. You know, that's great, Shirley. That's really, really good. And, and the, the other thing I thought of when you said that was I was thinking, wow, that's, that's a great point. If you're riding alone, obviously you're going to have to deal with this. But if you're riding with two up and something happens to you, you can't ride, you've got another person there to arrange things and do all the running around. You already have your help. They don't need to ride the yeah. bike necessarily. If you're really crook and your partner can ride, how good are you going to feel on the back of the bike? Right. Mm-hmm. If you're really sick, you don't want to be on the bloody bike. You want to be in a hotel room or, a, you know, you're in your tent, just hunkered down and resting and recovering. Yeah, and imagine a big bike with a small, relatively inexperienced female rider on the front and a big guy who's who's injured on the back. Nah, no. that's just that's 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 thinking well, about, right? And adding no. the stress of the situation, the whole thing, the the, the oh, stress yeah. and worry of what's happened and what's going to happen and where you've got to get to, and oh. Yeah, and she's got to pick the bike up. Huh. Yeah. I can't pick my bike up by myself. So forget it. It's not going to happen. It just doesn't And work. I think William says it all in the first um, first sentence where he says that his wife is a happy pinion, but not a rider. Yes. Mm-hmm. Leave her, um, leave her one there. Thing that, one thing that Susan Johnson said to me once is, don't ever say you are just a pinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are part Amen. of the team. And um, if you're happy on the back, as Grant says, Leave her there. Yep. Let her let her enjoy the trip and not go through the um, a stressful journey. So, like your friend, you were saying your your friend who is every day was stressful and arduous. Can you imagine a year or two years of that? 
Oh gosh, they the, were on the they were on the oh. road for a long time, Grant, and she yeah. was as happy as a lark when they when yeah, they discovered that um, there were reasons that were stopping them travelling, and that she was having a baby, and she was so pleased. Right, exactly. So the trip is ruined. The marriage is under stress because she's stressed every day. She gets on that yeah. bike. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 don't go there. Susan's very happy on the bike and part of the team, like you said. And and that becomes, I think, the most important thing is I've, I've seen what happens when she's not part of the team. She's just the pillion. She's unhappy. She's bored out of her mind. She feels like she should be doing something and she's not. And he's pissed off because she's not doing anything. And yet he won't let her because he's in charge. So he's doing the, the planning, the trip, he's doing all the riding work. He's organizing the hotel. He's doing all the work, but she's not doing anything. So he's pissed off with her. Can you imagine what it's like to travel afraid? Tate Healy's chapter in The Moment Collectors, he talks about a couple in there, doesn't he? Um, Where the guy is just an incompetent drunk and a bully. And he's badgered his partner into riding a motorcycle too. And she is riding scared witless every day. Can you imagine how awful that must be? Miserable. No, no, thanks. I mean, I can't make too many comments from a pillion's point of view because, well, five foot tall can't really ride my bike anyway so if something goes wrong she she, you know she might be able to get out of trouble but i can't and certainly not with with the bike she is a great pillion by the way and i think um you can get sick both of you when you're traveling so one of the keys is to pay attention to the symptoms and try not to let yourself fall well ill when you're off the beaten track and we've all got common sense, and we? we we know when we're feeling off or a bit squeezy or, or whatever else it is. Just stay in one place until it passes. And I think what I'm trying to say is cut down the risk of something going pear-shaped when you're um, far off the beaten track. I was thinking that the, the style of riding that you might have when you're at home and hospitals are a five-minute phone call away, et cetera, is going to be very different from when you're two up in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I, I remember going through places uh, in Malawi and stuff where I was riding so conservatively because I knew if we crashed, it was going to be a problem. If I got injured, it was going to be a big deal. So we just didn't crash because I was riding way within my limits. And I think that's just something important you have to keep in mind. It's really easy to just go for a ride with the boys and have fun. That's a very different pace from a long-distance, two-up-loaded traveling pace. You have to keep that in mind and, and ride sensibly. A, a lot of it is is common sense, isn't it? I mean, Berger, yes, of course, she comes on the back of my bike. Um, and I go on the back of her bike from from time to time, and that is a very strange-looking shadow. <laughs> it's five-foot-one rider in the front, and um, then there's um, this six-foot-one guy shadow on the back. So that just makes me smile, so it's fine. Um, but, you know, one of the keys is when we ride two up, we have really good communication and always bear in mind what the other, what the rider is, what the other person is dealing with, the road, the challenges, direction, giving heat or whatever else it may be. And I think my job as a rider when I have a pillion is to focus on making sure that the ride is as best as possible for them. So I'm not pulling away fast. I'm not crashing through potholes. And there are plenty of backside rests and, and that sort of thing. And I meet so many 
many riders who've got pillions on the back and they don't do that sort of thing. The riders for them, the pillion is an add-on. Well, how wrong is that? And Birgit says to me that when she's riding pillion, her job is to help me manage the bike and to keep me heading in the right direction. She knows things like, you know, flinching or wobbling at the wrong moments can cause real problems. She knows those sorts of things, A, because she can feel it when it happens, but also because we talk about it. And I think... If I was setting off on a really big long trip with a pillion passenger and I was concerned about something going pear-shaped, then I would be spending a lot more time focusing as a couple um, on understanding each other and what the other person's roles are within the trip. And, and somebody said just now about you've, you've both got parts and you have to have parts. And it's it's common sense things like learning how to climb off when you need it, when when you need to, and and it's available for you, you know, the right moment for you to do that. Communication is the king on and off the bike, isn't it? And when we first started riding um, two up, we didn't have intercom or anything else like that. And Birgit was navigating on the back of the bike and her direction giving was a very hefty thump on the left shoulder if we had a left turn to do and a thump on the right shoulder if we were going right and an even bigger thump in the middle of my back if we were going straight. Oh, thank God for intercom. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but um, she'd also no, tell me things were going wrong because... Um, yeah, a clench of the thighs if I did something wrong. And um, every now and then a scream would also underline that I'd done something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Several thumps on the back is uh, another sign. <laughs> Contingency plan. So, Sam, you, you just mentioned that. I mean, that makes sense that if you're riding two up and, and you there's obviously there's a possibility you may not be able to ride, that's where you, you have to build it in at the start. Same as you would for everything else. You build in the fact yep. that, okay, there's a chance that something could go wrong and I may not be able to ride the bike. And if that happens, this is the approach. This is, this are our least possibilities. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's things like um, you should both know how to read a map and use a compass and use a portable <gasps> GPS. Um, both people should need to know. Same. <laughs> <laughs> both people should it's know how to locate where to you are. <laughs> Everybody knows about what three words I take it. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, bloody hell, might feel like a stress reliever, but the What Three Words app um, is a darn sight like more useful. But I also think um, <laughs> if, if you're out of your own country, um, it's important to have both people knowing the administration details and where to find them. Where's the travel insurance contacts? Where is the embassy and um, your embassy in that country? Um, of course, how do you use the SOS recovery and you know those sorts of things? Both of you need to know how to do it. Um, yeah, it's it's having plan B. What if something goes wrong? What are we going to do? And it doesn't. it's not a panic situation or a real concern situation. It's just, okay, let's make a plan. Let's let's work out what we it's are going to do. It's just sensible. Exactly. And, and as Shirley said, it's just the same as if you're riding alone, you know, as far as yeah. riding, as far as worrying about riding the bike. The thing that I like this question from from William. I think it's a really good one because um, people um, do tend to ride f- so often with the rider being the experienced person and a smaller, perhaps um, 
less experienced person sitting on the back. But the teamwork, it just grows, doesn't it? And the teamwork is part of the joy for both people, um, the both having their roles and both being involved and both knowing the what-ifs and how-tos and so on. It's that Grant was talking, I think it was Grant, you were talking about um, having the guy who's in charge of everything. Yeah. And yeah, oh, how, how many times do we just see the agony on the pillion's faces, the boredom mm-hmm. and the fear too, because mm-hmm. they're not important and they are important. Be happy that the person is happy riding pillion. You've got somebody that you want to have, you want with you and be happy that they're happy. Absolutely. How many many people do we talk about that uh, guys traveling on their own because their partner doesn't want to travel? Opinion or otherwise. So, mm-hmm. if um, if William's wife is happy on the back, boy, he's luckier than so many because she's happy to sit there and go on go on trips with him. Yep. Put her to That's work. True. Give her something to do. That's really <laughs> critical. Now for us, Put Susan does all the logistics. <laughs> I, I know. I sort of chuckled when he said that too, taking it out of context. <laughs> Put her to work. Um, Grant, yeah. how does that work at home? <laughs> well, we we when definitely have sure our, has our own. To do. <laughs> we both have our own jobs. We are definitely <laughs> blue collar, pink collar, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I have my things that I am responsible for, and I do. And Susan has her things, and it's the same when we're on the road. I'm mostly on the road. I'm responsible for the bike, making sure we get there intact. And at the end of the day, I'm tired. So she takes care of the food. I do the cleanup, uh, things like that. I set up the tent while she's cooking. You know, it's all, there's a definite, we both have a task. We know what we're doing. We just get on with it and there's no stress. There's no, you know, come on, don't be so lazy. Get, get moving. You know, it, it, it works together as a team and it works really, really well for us because we both yeah. know what needs to be done and we just get it done. No, it's just the same as life at home. You, you, you know, you want things to be smooth and everyone to be happy and have their, you know, things get done when you have some kind of routine. Yep, absolutely. Teamwork to be. is right. Good partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Susan figures out that where we're going is her primary task, and then I fine-tune it. And we work it back and forth. I'm a much better navigator than she is, but I'll take her word for it. She's got her own GPS. This is something that not many people get into. I've got a GPS. Brian breaks out in the cold sweat at that thought. (laughs) (laughs) That's because he's worried you're going to put the GPS upside down. Yeah, I know. We won't talk about the upside down map or the not upside down map going down the map. No, we won't get into that. Susan would be annoyed with me. Um, Anyway, I have my map, my GPS, which tells me what the next intersection looks like. And I can think of a few places in Europe where that was really important for Susan to tell me, turn left up ahead is no use whatsoever because there are three lefts and four rights. It's just nuts. So... I've got, I, I can understand what's going on because I can see and Susan can plan, she can organize. And if I don't make the right turn because I blew it or was, wasn't quite understanding or whatever, she can quickly reorganize and tell me what to do. I don't have to fiddle with my GPS. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to stress. I pay attention to the traffic. I pay attention to the riding and being safe. And she worries about the navigation and when it comes time for lunch, she just punches in, where's the nearest food? And we navigate to the nearest food. Oh, I don't like that one. She can fiddle around with it. And all in comfort on the back, looking at her own GPS. 
and we usually have different um, different maps on them so that we have two different opinions as well. But I can tell you one thing that's really important. No matter what, whatever Susan tells me, I do. I do not argue. <laughs> I was going to ask, who, who wears the pants in your family? On navigation, when we're on their bike, absolutely Susan's in charge. Her <laughs> GPS absolutely wins because in theory... She's got a much better view. She's been able to scroll around and figure out what's going on and what the options are. And she's had time to think about it, whereas I'm busy keeping us safe. Mm. So I love that you wins. guys do this. Love that you guys do this. It works a treat. I hope that helps some people figure out a good way to do it. <laughs> mm. Well, I, William, I, I know that I, I have the feeling that that wasn't the answers that you were looking for, but I, I hope it sorts it out for you. Anything else anyone wants to add? I think that's got it. Okay, let's uh, let's move into plugs. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there and uh, and move into plugs. And we're gonna start out with Michelle. Michelle, what do you have for plugs? Oh well, just um, just a reminder to everybody that Rev Sisters um, is working on our one online motorcycle film festival this year. It's taking place in October, um, but we are accepting films right now. Submissions tickets are available as well. Uh, we offer free tickets for the first weekend of the event. You can go to revsisters.com for more information on either submitting a film or getting a ticket for the event. And that's an online film festival. It runs about two weeks and you can view film films from anywhere in the world. Okay, very good. And the, you're going to give us a link for the show notes. Yes. And for, for judges for this year, did you change judges every year? Is that what you do? We have changed them actually every festival. So in the past two years, so the first year we intended to do live events and then we pivoted because the year that we launched it was 2020, as it turned out. <laughs> uh, we had to make alternate plans and then launch them as an online film festival series. We had three a year for 2020 and 21. But we decided this year we're going to try and do some live events. So we're actually playing at a couple of venues, uh, a collection of films. So this year we're at Americade. Last year we were at the AMA Vintage Moto Days. So we're kind of growing some live events, but we're scaling back then the online film festival series. So this year we're just doing the one, but every single festival has had different judges for each. And we have not uh, finished choosing the judges for this event. So mm. if any of you want to volunteer, let me know. <laughs> well, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that afterwards. Uh, Shirley, what do you have for plugs? Well, a lot of Australians will have done a trip with um, Ferris wheels. Mike Ferris was, has been running small group motorcycle trips through India, uh, the Himalayas, and he just keeps expanding Cambodia, and he's been doing it for a long time um, and dealing with tourists. Well, crikey, he's, got, he's a braver man than me, that's for sure. But he's just written a book called Free Back Issues, which is talking about his 27 years on the road. And uh, having shared a couple of um, chilled refreshes with Mike and listened to some of the tales of his, of his trips, I think it'll be a great read. So, Free Back Issues by Mike Ferris. I love the title. That's very cool. I know, it is good, isn't yeah, it? And the cover picture is him stretching his back. <laughs> I'll have to see. It's his. a really nice cover, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Brian, what have you got? Well, um, I'm 
in the process of organising a Motorcycle Awareness Month. I know you have it over there in the US, mm-hmm. uh, which is May, um, but um, I've decided to take that idea to the powers that be here in uh, our state of Victoria, and it looks like it's going to get off the ground in October. So there will be a lot of events to raise awareness of motorcycles on our roads, uh, particularly with um, car drivers, but also um, there'll be things for um, motorcyclists as well. So we hope to run regional events right across the the country, but um, we started off a meeting uh, earlier this week and it looks like we've got funding and it will be kicking off. So hopefully that will be up and running. Also, um, of course, is my wall-to-wall ride in September. It starts in Melbourne on the 16th of September, going to Canberra, overnighting in um, uh, on the coast of um, New South Wales. So uh, there's that. And a big shout-out to the Aussie races going around the world at the moment. We bat way above our, our average here, you know. How good's um, Jack Miller? Jack Miller, second in the MotoGP. <laughs> Um, we've got Remy Gardner, who's the current reigning world Moto2 champion. We've got Toby Price, a Dakar racer. Max Frick, who's a speedway rider, just won the, the uh, Polish uh, Grand Prix in speedway. And young Joel Kelso in Moto3. So big shout out to those guys that are out there doing it and doing it well. So two things you got going on there and then just one bragging thing at the end, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, isn't Toby what Price... Can I get there anyway? We don't have a lot of people here, Brian. You know, you got you to pick and choose. Hey, isn't Toby Price, isn't he work, uh, working on a, a 4 by 4 now or something? Uh, he's doing both. Oh, he's doing both? Um, oh, he wow. was... Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he races a thing called the Fink Desert Race here, and um, it's a race uh, from Alice Springs to Fink and back, and uh, they have an overnight in Fink. He races the um, the motorcycles, invariably wins that, you know, uh, racing a bike at well over 160k on the dirt, and they actually – he finished his race there, and they got him in a helicopter and took him back to the start in Alice Springs for him to compete in the – uh, Four wheeler event. And I think he can. So he's done both in the one in the one event. Incredible! These Tough people boy. who who can do it, like so such dedication. I mean, to be able to do both things and be good at it, it's just amazing. That's incredible. Don't, and, don't, forget, don't forget, he he broke his his neck um, racing in the Baja, I think, and uh, came back from that. He's in traction for ages. To win the Dakar. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. But Brian, I was also going to say that, that you never cease to amaze me. I mean, now you're starting Motorcycle Awareness Month. I mean, I don't know where you're finding all this time. I mean, it seems to me like all you do is ride. You don't do much of anything, but you're actually doing things. It's incredible. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Very astute, Jim. Wow. Very astute. There's a lot of people involved, not just me, mate. But um, yeah, look, I, I think it's, you know, after all my years in motorcycle, it's time to give back and, and help others. Um, have fun on motorbikes. Mm, great stuff. Sam, what have you got for plugs? Okay. Well, my plug today is for the Penn Merrill Farm in Virginia. Now, this is a young business, but it's really rolling. Now, the farm, I think, is of great interest to people who are planning to ride in Virginia. Um, and I think that 
Penmole is a, a cracking spot for motorcyclists either to visit or to use as a base while exploring. For those people who already know Virginia, um, when I say that it's in the Shenandoah Valley, then they'll know exactly why I'm smiling as I'm saying this. And these guys have got camping, cabins, motorcycle riding on the site itself, plus fantastic riding in the area, such as the Blue Ridge Mountains, which many listeners will have heard of. It's right by the Mid-Atlantic back um, country discovery route too, so it's a, a really good spot, stop-off spot um, for people riding that. Now, the place was first set up by Ken and Deanie Pitkin, who have the most wonderful history, and they're kindred spirits to many listeners, I think. And there's some of their stories on, on the website, so it's well worth having a look. But anyway, enter Blair and Laura. Now, I first met Blair down at Eurosport in Asheville, where he and the guys hosted me for a presentation. And Blair and Laura heard that Ken and Deanie wanted to retire, and they knew that they could turn the farm into a pretty special venue, not only for its original background with horses, but um, fantastic for motorcycling too. And the guys host um, a number of motorcycling events during the year, so it's well worth keeping an eye on what's going on on their website. And for anybody who's starting to be interested, you'll find them near Greenville, which is just off the I-81 and the I-64, and they're close to historic cities such as um, Lexington, Staunton, Harrisburg, and Charlottesville. Um, have a look in the show notes, and you'll find a great taste of why I'm so enthusiastic about these guys. It's an absolutely beautiful area, and they've got it so well set up for motorcyclists to visit, um, to explore from, or just drop in on. So yeah, Penn Merrill Farm in Virginia. Okay. And Grant, what do you have? Well, we've got events. Finally, we have events. We have 12 events this year. And um, one of the ones coming up is the Hum Cascades, Horizons Unlimited Mountain Madness Cascades. Now, we've been running Hum since 2006. We started in Spain, we've been in the USA and Canada, as well as Morocco. And the Hum is all about off-road riding. Think geocaching. You've got to find some tags. You've got to get out there and actually use a map, use your GPS, depending on what class you want to be in, how hard you want to go at it, how hardcore you want to be, and find some tags on some amazing trails. This uh, event this year, actually, I started riding and prepping for it in 2019, and we all know what happened the following year. And I went out and got some more tags, just be prepping anyway. And then 2021, I did a few more just for fun. And then we had massive flooding in the region, and that whole area is largely inaccessible. Trails are wiped out, roads are wiped out, bridges are gone. So guess what? I'm riding again for 2022, and I've been out riding just this last week, and I'll be going out next week and the week after and getting more amazing places. I think I mentioned at the beginning of this this episode that I found the most amazing, best trail I've ever ridden. Well, yeah, it was about a 40-minute trail, long, winding, and old, old, old logging road from the days when logging trucks were far smaller than they are now. And it's, it's partially overgrown, and the grass has grown up. It's just beautiful, and the views are spectacular. If you follow me on um, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> the name is completely escaped. Instagram? Instagram. Thank you very much. If you follow me on Instagram, there's a couple of pictures I posted from that ride. It's great. So if you're in the British Columbia, Alberta, Washington, Idaho area, sign up, 
Come and join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Great riding. Some of the best riding ever. Now, so Grant, that's uh, one now, event. Now, now, Instagram, that's the one on your phone, right? That's the one on your phone. Yeah, you no, I, I was going to ask you. So yeah. the, the hum thing, um, the, this is teams. Do you have to come with a team? Is that how it works? I remember you saying that before. You don't have to come with a team. If you're solo and you would like to ride, send in your information, sign up. Let me know what kind of a rider you are. I want to know if you're super experienced, a beginner, what kind of bike you're riding. And I'll match you up with similar somebody with similar skills and a similar bike so that you work well together. Okay. Um, we've actually done that for people in the past. And twice in the last few years, we've had people win that we teamed up. Oh, wow. So oh, okay, don't great. Worry, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. So, you, so if you're, if you just got you and your bike, you can still go and you still have yep. spaces available for that. Okay. And that's, you're going to give us we a link. That'll been, be in the show notes. You betcha. Okay. So other than that, we have all the rest of the events. We've already had a couple this year. Uh, we've had uh, Virginia and California. Both went over extremely well. People were just, wow, it's so good to get back out and meet people and talk about travel and do some planning. It's, they're just absolutely loving it. So we've got more coming up. The next event is also in British Columbia at the CanWest event, which has been going since 2002. It's now the, the oldest event we have currently running, and uh, that's June 9 to 12. The hum is in July, mid-July. Um, we've got Newfoundland. This is a new event for us. So those of you who are interested in going to Newfoundland and seeing a whole new part of Canada and North America that very few people get to, it's going to be mid-August. Uh, of course, we've got Germany coming up two weeks from now. Is it a week from now? Depending on when this comes out. Anyway, May 26 to 9 to 29. Uh, we've got Switzerland. We've got Romania, France, Germany again. They do two every year. They're so ex so excited to get going. And, of course, South Africa is the season closer in November 3 to 6. And a fantastic destination that one is. So check out the schedule, horizonsunlimited.com slash events. There's lots happening. Get together with people. Do a little planning. Get excited. Get out there and ride. Twelve events, you said. That is so nice to hear. Yeah. Uh, before COVID, I think you were at 24 or 25, weren't you? Somewhere around there, yeah. It's yes. quite a few. So it's slowly we, coming back up. For, it's definitely coming back up. We were thinking at the beginning of the year we have four or five, but it's coming together restrictions are easing our organizers are feeling more comfortable about running the events we are being very careful at all of our events um, make sure that our teams and the people attending are safe we follow all kinds of all the local requirements and we go the extra step to make sure we're as safe as possible at all events right okay well grant um just just jim just before we move on um Grant, you mentioned um, going to Newfoundland, and this is this is a, a place that I would really like to go to um, a rise and meet. Uh, the more I hear about Newfoundland and the people and the landscape and so on, the more I just think, wow, this this has got to be a place to to go and explore. But the reason I'm commenting as well is because Bug and I, a couple of weeks weekends back, we were just out um, having a meander through the the local area, and we dropped in on um, a, a coastal town called Dartmouth. And we were wandering around there and we came across a blue and white plaque 
on the wall. And um, this was for Sir Humphrey Gilbert, who lived between 1539 and 1583. So he was born on the Dart, which is a river just up up the way. He became a courier for um, Queen Elizabeth I's reign and served in France and Ireland. And in 1566, um, he, um, he wrote a discourse promoting the Northwest Passage to China. In, 18, in 1583, um, he colonized Newfoundland Ooh. and hence wow. forming Britain's um, first overseas empire area. Very nice, yeah. Sam. Uh, Sam, uh, let, me, let me just throw in there that that's Newfoundland. Yeah, Newfoundland. it's Newfoundland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. I, I have problems with it myself. Newfoundlanders <laughs> will, will point it out to you without a doubt. Oh, yes, they will. <laughs> <laughs> you will and it learn. Is a- it is a beautiful place, Sam, you know already, but I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Very small population, miles and miles and miles of unpopulated road. It's just spectacular. And nearly two go. million moose. <laughs> <laughs> More moose than people, by yes. far. <laughs> Well, that's great, everyone. Thank you very much. That Once again, just a fantastic time. It's a real pleasure to sit down with you all and, and just um, chat about these things. So thank you very much. Thank you. Good to catch up. No worries, Jim. Always good. Always fun. And it just feels like we're sitting around a campfire with our friends. And that's just a really nice feeling. Yeah, it does. I'm I'm raising a glass of whiskey to you all. Cheers. I've got my water here. Cheers. And to everybody listening. Yes, here, here. Good on you guys. So I hope everyone's very happy and healthy and get out there and start riding. Too man. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also have published their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get e-books at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Adventure Rider Radio.